We're going to look at the book of Acts. Then we're going to take a look at, in the book of John, uh, a couple of sermons on that, I think. And then one in the Gospels, and then, uh, I'm sorry, um, the epistles of Paul. And then we might look again at the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation. I'm really excited about what we're going to try to do for Advent. And I say what we're going to try to do. And here's why. We do Advent every year. We take a look uh, and get ready and excited about the coming of Christ born in Bethlehem. And I, I wouldn't change that up a bit. But sometimes you need to change the sermons. We're going to look at the parables of Christ in November and December. And we're going to look at them in view of Advent. In other words, since Jesus has come to this earth, everything has changed. How does this story change us? How has it changed since Jesus has come? So I'm look, very much looking forward to that. Today in the book of Acts, if you remember uh, last week, and you, you, you get free, free pumpkin product if you do, uh, I said there are 88 references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Pretty much we're solid on this. The reason we have to waffle a little bit is because the word for spirit is also the word for, for um, breath and wind. So you have to check the context. But about 88 references in the Old Testament. In the book of Acts, 70. One book. Now this really shouldn't surprise us because something new had come. A new kingdom. Some, God's up to something in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Jesus as, is resurrected. He's about to ascend and he's talking to his apostles. Who is still giving Jesus the words to say? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still wrapped around everything Jesus said and did. And then in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, do not rush past this to get to Acts chapter 2. People do. It's as if Acts chapter 1 is just there to say, read the next chapter. And they rush. They'll do the ascension. But then they rush. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to stop there for just a second. You might think, cool. They didn't think, cool. That wasn't their experience of the Holy Spirit. Their experience of the Holy Spirit was the wild, maddening chaos of Genesis 1 and verse 2. Then the Holy Spirit comes and boom, there's light and order. And all of that's going on. And Jesus is leaning over a table saying, by the way, he's coming for you. And he's going, to be, he's going to surround you. This, and again, remember, to them, when the Holy Spirit shows up, that's radical remodeling. That, that is a total home renovation right here. We'll keep reading. Then they gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love the old um, King James phrasing there, to the uttermost ends of the earth. It's just a lovely phrase, isn't it? 
Now, I, you may not have noticed something else in there, and it's not part of the lesson, so we're not going to spend much time on it. But even after all this time, the uh, three, three and a half years of ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, spending some time with them before the ascension, they still don't quite understand what the kingdom is. And say, say is it now? Now will you restore the glory to Israel? And Jesus doesn't look at that hanging curveball and take a step into it and crack it over the center field fence. See, I can do American sports analogy. You let me live in a country 40 years, I'm right on top of them. No, they, no, he doesn't correct them. He just ignores it. There's a lesson there. If you look at Jesus, most of the time when people ask him a hard doctrinal question that really needs to be sorted, seriously, most of the time, read your Bibles, he doesn't answer it. Because he's not interested in winning arguments. He's interested in winning people. And so he lets it go right past him and says, you don't need to know those things. You just go to Jerusalem and you're going to be my witnesses. Now, again, they wouldn't have gone, woohoo, if he was using the standard term for witnesses because that word also means martyrs. Suit up, buddy going to be interesting in Jerusalem. I find it fascinating. He had told them after, whether before he was crucified, he said, you go into Galilee and I'll meet you there. They wouldn't leave Jerusalem. They were in a locked room. Do you remember this? Terrified. So he finally gets them to Galilee. Now he's telling them, go into Jerusalem and stay there till the Holy Spirit shows up. And they're going to be afraid to go back. If you're, if you're wondering, does God want me to do something? And it sounds like something you'd really like to do. It's probably not him. It just probably isn't. If it sounds like something quite unadvisable, it might be. Like walk on the water. That's scary, that is. You know, and yet whenever... I always love that story because they're so afraid of the storm. And then Jesus gets into the boat. Now they're... they're they kind of want the storm back. They're more afraid of Jesus. I want to warn you about something. I have no special gifts in this region. No special knowledge. I will tell you this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he brings order, not chaos. Now you might think, all right, good news. Hang on. Sometimes we're really comfortable with the chaos we have embraced. We call it the norm. This is our culture. This is our society. This is what we like. This is what makes us happy and feels good. Yes, it's all, all over the place, but it's our chaos. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not always good news if you've embraced the chaos. We need to step back and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do because he's going to do it. And, and it's, it just matters, you know, the only open question then is will you join him or fight him? Well, we all know which one. When I preached in West Virginia, uh, we were there, I think, nine years. Uh, there was one sweet lady, Phyllis, was so full of faith. She, I, I couldn't preach like I do anywhere else. Because right then, I would have said, for example, 
Do we join him or do we fight him? There would have been, join him. I love her. Then we went to Detroit and there was a lady there who uh, did about the same. Uh, And I went back and preached there, what was it, back in um, March, I think it was. And guess what? She still talks back. Uh, Cool. Later I hugged her and she goes, you remember my name? And I went, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that one. I'm going to remember you. Love her to pieces. In chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon the apostles and the others gathered there. I want you to take a look at at one verse in Acts chapter 1 and then the first verses of chapter 2. Because I don't want us to miss something going on here. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Keep that in your head. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they, they were sitting. Again, these pronouns. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. What is going on? uh, Yeah, um... The noise of this speaking was enough to bring a crowd. The noise of the wind, whatever is going on, it would seem to indicate more than 12 people are talking. The Spirit came upon them all. Now, when I was a boy, the preachers made it very, they would trace the pronouns back and say, nah, it's not on all of them. The Holy Spirit only came upon the apostles. I don't think that argument can be made. It it can be made in English, but I don't think it can be made in Greek. And that's what the text is. Regardless, we do not, do not emphasize the word men, as in it appeared to the men. Remember I told you language is sexist? It, you know, I didn't design it, but once again, I said this last week, if there are, all of you in here are female and there's one male in French and Spanish and in most countries, I have to use male pronouns. For everybody, because that, for the group, because that's the way language works. English has a neuter gender. Most languages do not. You know, uh, most languages, a window, for example, is either male or female. I think most of you know this, right? And that's why don't read too much when you hit the pronouns. The NIV of 2011, they, um, they redid the NIV in 2011. Most, most people didn't get theirs till 2012, but that's when they did it tried to change these pronouns to make them more inclusive, and people went nuts. They did a good job. These words are supposed to be uh, inclusive. We need to hear this. I believe the women spoke in tongues as well, and there are many reasons why I do. In that society, men preach to men, and women preach to women. They would have already been separating as they gathered to worship. Not because God wanted them separate, but because their culture separated them. Whenever we have gone uh, to join our Muslim friends at Iftar or at one of their worships, you don't see men and women in the same space. They separate, even if there's not a separation like a wall, they separate themselves. 
Now, I will tell you that one of the reasons I'm in the Church of Christ is because you don't. I'll explain. My father uh, and mother were church hunting. Dad got scared during the Korean War, yelled, oh my God, realized he didn't have one, and went looking. So uh, they, they were going to churches, and he walked into one church where the women sat on one side and the men sat on the other, and Dad had just married my mom, and he didn't want to not sit with her. So they just turned around and walked out. And the next church they went into was an independent Christian church, which is part of the family of the churches of Christ. I keep thinking, you know, if he'd been happy sitting on his own, who knows where I'd be today. So there we are. And by the way, Dayton Cammy, I love Sundays because during the prayer, we would hold hands. And whenever somebody, some people got called up to pray, it was like, sweet, we're going to hold hands a long time. There will be contact. Uh, and, and it was wonderful. But the women in the room receiving the Holy Spirit would have been able to speak to the women, the men to the men. That's why it was able to go throughout the vast crowds of Jerusalem so quickly. Now, about, oh, by the way, inclusion of females as full members and as leaders in the kingdom was part of the plan the entire time. Let's, let's just... Luke, in fact, quotes Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Luke chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. That just means God's making a road for you which will be smooth. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. King James, most translations, all mankind. But we know what that means, do we not? It means all people will be saved. Now let's go to a book which is almost never mentioned because we, it's, it's, it's small. And so we just kind of skip over it. The book of Joel in the Old Testament. Joel would have written it maybe in the ninth century BC uh, about prophesying, whether well, he was prophesying, in the, um, in the time of King Uzziah, the 10th king of the southern kingdom of Judah. People were feeling really good about stuff at that time. The economy was roaring. There was military progress and peace. And it's amazing to me how rare it is for God's people and the message of God to prosper when times are good. It seems to be when all hell breaks loose that God's people shine and do better. That's amazing to me. It is. Ask Job. When all hell go, uh, breaks loose, it could be because you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And you take it because we're warriors. But look at Job. Look at what he, he says. This is coming. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, stop. The word prophesy and prophet, does it mean telling the future? It certainly can. It certainly can. But at least 75% of the time, and yeah, I, I run the numbers. I only work Sundays. I've got gobs of time. Uh, so I can run the numbers. And now you have computers, you can do the same. 
your daughters will prophesy most of the time, 75% of the time. That is a public teaching of the will of God. It's not about the future. It's about a speaking to the morality and the faith of the people authorized by God to do so. And your daughters will do that. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, those are the lower ones, both men and women. It's almost like he's trying to make a point. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. All right. Semitic language for he's reorganizing the government. He's reorganizing the planet. The stars and the sun were often metaphors for human leaders and cultures. The moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, going to happen in Acts 2, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said even among the survivors. <clears throat> okay. That's an interesting term. The survivors whom the Lord calls. In other words, when God decides to end the chaos, not everybody's going to be on team God. And so not everybody's going to be a survivor. Be on team God. It is um, an amazing passage. Women are mentioned twice, did you see? And guess what Peter does in Acts chapter 2? The first gospel sermon preached after Jesus ascended into heaven attests that it has always been a part of God's plan that women are elevated to the position that God has always held them in and that they should have held many years before. Peter quotes Joel in his entirety in that first sermon. He says, you are asking the gathered crowd saying, what does this mean? He says, I will tell you what this means. And he quotes Joel. I'm 62 years old. I've been reading this book for decades. I just got goosebumps again because it's that powerful. And I would submit to you that if you don't get goosebumps, there's something wrong with you when you let an old Scotsman get more emotional than an American. You guys get excited about football. Come on. Well, not, not as many as before yesterday. The, moving, <laughs> moving on. The gift of tongues. Let's talk about that. Because that has, been, that, that has had a surge after 1906 uh, among a certain, because um, it started then. There were also some back in history where there were some ecstatic utterances where um, nobody could really tell what it was that someone was saying. Uh, sometimes somebody would interpret, sometimes not. That's, that's not what this is. This is not an ecstatic language or utterance, rather. It is a language that they had not studied. This is why the people gathered from at least 12 different language groups when, when you see the list in Acts, two, uh, Acts chapter 2. All of them turned and said, how is it that we're hearing in our language in other words, why are they you almost see somebody saying, why are they speaking in my language? And the person beside them going, no, they're speaking in mine. And then you go, but wait, these are Galileans? Remember the shock when people would hear any of Jesus' apostles speak. 
because they were from Stupidville. Seriously, that's what the culture thought of them. They're, they're, it, was, it was well known, read Josephus, it was well known that people from Galilee's accent was so thick that they could never learn another language and that they were ill-educated. This is why when somebody says this is Jesus, somebody goes, how can somebody, anything good come out of Nazareth? That whole concept. So if you're part of a people group or a culture that has been looked down upon because of your culture or your accent or the like, I want you to understand something. God doesn't look down on you. God's okay with that. In fact, he pecked people. And now these people are speaking in other languages. This spread through the crowd. And it's, it was allowing them to spread the gospel across tribal and national boundaries. And they did. But it seems to have been a short-lived gift of the Spirit. But that shouldn't concern you. It, it shouldn't. Every gift you've ever been given by God will end. It might end at your death. It might end before. One of the things I, I've noticed as I've grown up in, in, the, um, in the world of faith is that preachers are like boxers. They tend to stay in the ring a little too long. And they need to be um, aware that this is a problem and that they can undo good that they once did if they don't step back. This is why everywhere I go, I try to encourage others to be ready when it's my turn. Now, some of you are going, is he about to resign? Or others are going, is he about to? No. No. But the gift I have to speak will not be forever. The gift I have to think will not be forever. One day my brain will fail, my tongue will fail, all gifts go away. As Jerry Jones put it so eloquently 20 years ago, every marriage ends in death or divorce, but every marriage ends. We need to redeem the time we have. So whenever I say this gift was a short-term gift, all I'm doing is referring back to John chapter 3, verse 8. The Spirit goes where he wants to go. And no one gets to control that. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul would every now and then stress, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. In other words, they get more gifts of the Spirit than you do. Don't go, well, I wish I had to get. No, rejoice where he moves. Rejoice what he does. Let him, and then just follow him. Go wherever he goes. Note, note this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you can do miracles on command. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. I love that phrase. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, and then we'll go to John 10. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Talking about John the Baptist before he was born. And, and they, didn't, they knew he was going to be called John. They didn't know his last name was going to be Baptist at that stage. And he, is, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Uh, they would have understood immediately that he's going to be a Nazarite, which was a, a class of Jews that took a special vow. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And I... Sorry, Dr. Lemons, I said Nazarite. I should have said Nazarene. Got my ending there. I was just thinking, if I was him, I'd be right now going, eh. so I wanted to correct that. And many people came to them. 
He said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. I am not jealous of other people's spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are not always miraculous. Like I said, sometimes they're leadership, wisdom, insight, discernment, speaking. I believe my daughter has a spiritual gift in how to raise boys. We watch the way she raises our grandsons. And we look at each other and go, she didn't learn that from us. We're not sure where she got that, but she's doing an amazing job. And we are impressed, very impressed. There are a lot of gifts. Am I trying to lead you to a stage where I'm about to tell you there aren't miracles? No, no. God can do what he jolly well wants to do. He doesn't need our permission. And he does. I have seen miracles. And, I've, and, I, and I'm a scientist. And so it's hard for me to say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the first one to say, rather, it's a miracle. I'll pull back and go, you know, it's kind of like when we lived in Colorado, our backyard was Pikes Peak, basically, that, that whole view. You've never seen a Colorado sunset, you've not seen a sunset. I'm aware I could say that about Caribbean islands and the like, but this is amazing. And people would come out and they'd take pictures almost every night of, of the sunset and post them. And there'd be some that would say, isn't this a miracle? And I'm going, no, it's light refraction <laughs> off of dust. So I'm, I'm a really hard case, all right? I'm aware of this, but I will tell you that the birth of every child has to involve a miracle because this, the eternal spirit that lives in us cannot be found in DNA. It cannot be found in a sperm and an egg. There's a miracle every time there's a breath. We don't know how and why the body continues. So best of luck. We just don't know. There are miracles that I have seen again and again and pull back and say, that wasn't science, that wasn't us. We've had a visitor. So, what am I saying? When you are filled with the Spirit, there will be some amazing signs, but they may not be the ones you expected. All the believers were together and had everything in common. When was the last time you saw that? I'd say that's a miracle. Keep going. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See that a lot? Every day, they every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They, so this is intentional. It wasn't like a flash mob came to your house. They stayed together. They broke bread in their homes. Very important to understand that that means they accepted each other. In the first century, you are who you eat with. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. You think you can do that without the Spirit of God? I, no. Same people, gather them together without the Spirit of God. You know what you get? Twitter. With the Spirit of God, you get the fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm going to stop right there. Without the Spirit of God, how are you going to love? I know Jesus told us to love everybody, but some of you are making it harder than it needs to be. Let's help a guy out. 
love, joy, peace, forbearance. There's a word bear in forbearance. Did you pick up on that one? So you're going to have to carry this thing around for a bit. Kindness, goodness. People think kindness and goodness are the same thing. They are not. Very briefly, if I send money to the Bahamas relief effort, that's good. Kindness is goodness done within arm's reach because you are touching your kind. So instead of sending a check, I'm helping a homeless person get up, get in a vehicle, and we're going to Arby's. You know, we're, that's kindness. It's, it's more localized. Faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, it's hard for me. I know this is really difficult for you to imagine, but there's an edge to me that I even cut myself on sometimes. I'm not proud of it at all. I've been trying to dull it. My grandsons are working on it. Uh, I need the spirit and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. You're going to be moving if the spirit comes. Spirit didn't descend in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 and say, storm, stop, and then go away. No, it was an explosion of creation that took place. But controlled, designed, artistic, I would tell you it's impossible to live like Acts 2 and Galatians 5 without God's help. And so in the book of Acts, we see this burst of activity where the kingdom of God is declared on earth, but not of the earth. So hard to get our heads around that. I said our, it's a collective pronoun. There had been a time, we need to remember, if the miracle doesn't come for you, you need to remember. There was a time where Paul could just touch pieces of cloth and those would be sent to somebody and they'd be healed. Look at Acts chapter 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. However, later, Paul writes about Epaphroditus, who he dearly loves, having to be left behind because he was so dangerously ill. And that's not the only one. Trophimus was left at Miletus. He gives Timothy medical advice on how to use wine to settle his stomach. Paul didn't get a miracle every time he wanted one, and you're not going to either. Because the point of living is not how many miracles you get. The point of living is to be filled with the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, to share what you have, to look like Jesus, and to be ready to look Jesus in the face and say, I did what you told me. That's what the Spirit of God is here for. In fact, the Bible's trying to move you forward. Now, don't try to overprove anything from this. But if you look at Paul's books written before Acts 28, the end of Acts, that would be 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, uh, Galatians, and Romans, you'll see 22 references to speaking tongues, foreign languages. All of his books after, none. And in fact, Peter needed an interpreter, John Mark, who then wrote the book of Mark, which is really Peter's sermon notes. 
There were nine allusions to gifts versus two, 13 allusions to prophecy as a gift. Afterwards, none, but prophecy as a job, yes. Does that mean that people weren't being given miraculous gifts of prophecy? No, it doesn't. Don't try to overprove. The, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Can you remember this phrase? The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. God is working even when you don't see him, even when it is not spoken. But he wants us to be faithful in the long journey. Not for the short pop, but for the long haul. And if, uh, if you're putting on, a, I will tell you, I've lived in a place, uh, we lived in Myrtle Beach for a year. They put on special fireworks shows twice a week. I will tell you that after a year, you're done. You're really done. God doesn't want to give you a life full of fireworks, but you'll see some. You'll see some of it if you hang close to him. Paul did tell us, though, that God was going to give us an amazing gift, leaving behind. And this is going to take me a little bit, so I'm going to step down and let you bring your... um, Let's all stand, because I want you to, to see what Paul says. Thank you. Thanks. In fact, because one day my voice will be silenced, why don't we all read it? Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I love you, church. Go with God.